So last week we began our discussion on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, remember, is one of the Ten Commandments. It's actually the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And we find it in two places in the Old Testament. The first place is in the book of Exodus. The Hebrews have just left slavery in Egypt, and they have made their way to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses up on the top of the mountain receiving the law, this concise expression of who they are called to be as the people of God. And then we hear it again in the book of Deuteronomy. The people of God are on the edge of the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and Moses, their leader, who has been with them these past four decades, is not going to go with them, but instead a new leader named Joshua will be going with them. And so Moses reminds them of the Ten Commandments, reminds them of the law. The Sabbath, as much as it's a commandment, is also a gift. It's a, a day of rest for these newly liberated people, a new way of life, a way of life that is much different than the one that they experienced in Egypt. The Sabbath is a, a work stoppage once every seven days. Six days are you to work, but on the seventh you are to stop and to rest, God says. And not just you, but everyone is supposed to rest. The Sabbath is for everybody, and by everybody, God means everybody. Not just you, but also your children, your, the lowest people in that society, your, your slaves, but, and also your, your cattle, the farm animals, the animals that you would use for tilling the fields. And if they're resting, then that means creation itself is resting. That creation gets to participate in the rest, the Sabbath rest that God gives. And we heard about how important that is, as we heard this morning with the, the climate change video. The Sabbath is a powerful counter-narrative to the one that the people received when they lived in Egypt. And we discussed all of that last week. In Egypt, where the people of God were enslaved, they were commodities of Pharaoh. Their value was derived from their production value. It was derived from the amount of bricks they could produce, the amount of straw they could harvest, the amount of monuments and palaces they could build to make and create more wealth for Pharaoh. They were overworked and they overproduced. There was no such thing as a work stoppage in Egypt. The economy couldn't handle that. But the people receive in the law this guide to the way of life that God intends for them this commandment to stop once a week and to rest. No bricks will be made that day. No grain will be harvested. Nothing will be done. It's in this that God declares that they are loved and cherished, not because of what they can do, but because they are simply the children of God, because they simply exist. They are loved and accepted, not because of their constant striving, their endless production, but they are loved because they are the image-bearing creations of God, divine breath inhaling and exhaling from their lungs. The Sabbath is a reminder of who we are and whose we are, but it's also a reminder of who we are not and whose we are not, that we belong to God and not to Pharaoh. Our yes to God is a no to Pharaoh as he manifests himself in every time and place. But the question is, how do we observe the Sabbath? What does it look like to actually take a break? How do we actually rest? What sort of things can we do? What sort of things can't we do? How can we be faithful in fulfilling this commandment? And as you can imagine, this has led to some pretty serious debates. There are some really strict ways of observing the Sabbath. The rabbis created what's known as the Talmud. They created this in the, the two centuries after Jesus lived. 
And what they came up with was 39 categories of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. Now, they didn't come up with these out of nowhere. They came up with them after their own careful study of the Scriptures. But remember that these are, are categories of things that are prohibited. The specific actions are then listed as the modern world continues to move on. So, for example, one of the prohibited activities is to not kindle a fire on the Sabbath. And so for a lot of traditional observers of the Sabbath, that means that you can't drive a car on Saturdays because the internal combustion engine is considered to be kindling a fire. Now, not everybody accepts that, right? Some conservative traditional rabbis have said, that's the rule, you can't drive on the Sabbath. But other traditional rabbis have said, oh, you can drive on the Sabbath. That doesn't count as kindling a fire. And then there's the author Jana Reese in her book, Failing Sainthood, who tried to be as literal as she possibly could in following all of those 39 categories of prohibited activities. And so one of those is there is a prohibition against tearing on the Sabbath. And so on, in the modern world, filled with toilet paper, <laughs> that means you cannot tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. And so Jana Reese, trying to be as literal as she possibly could, pre-tore all of her toilet paper before the Sabbath. And she said she grossly overestimated how much she needed and she had enough for two days following the Sabbath. Shades of the hoarding of toilet paper back at the beginning of the pandemic, right? It's important to note, though, that anyone, any one of those prohibitions can be broken if a human life is in danger. But Christians, too, have historically created their own sort of strict observances of the Sabbath, right? The, the Christian Sabbath, Sundays, is God's time, and God's time is supposed to be quiet and reverent, no drinking, no smoking, no card playing, no going to movies. Makes God's time sound incredibly boring, right? Sounds almost as boring as that traditional image of heaven of harp playing on the clouds, and so as you can imagine, the sort of meticulous rule-keeping is not the best at, cr at cultivating a restful Sabbath. If you're worried about each activity, what you're doing and what you're not doing, then that can easily take away from that restful practice of the Sabbath. That's been my experience. That, that Those sort of rules can easily fall into legalism, and legalism creates more anxiety, does not create a restful environment. The point of the Sabbath is about rest and recovery. It's meant to create that space for idleness. I was reading a transcript from a rabbi within Reform Judaism this past week, and he said that if those 39 prohibitions help you to practice the Sabbath, help you to find rest, and that's a good thing. But he said, if we find it to be an imposition rather than liberation, then we're missing the point of the Sabbath. The whole Sabbath was given so that we could rest. And we have the freedom to discover what is restful and what is restorative to our lives. And that's exactly what Jesus is invested in. What Jesus is invested in is a, is a Sabbath, that the Sabbath would be what God actually intended it to be. A day of rest, a day where we can find wholeness and recovery. It's meant to be a day of human flourishing. We are supposed to, to look forward to the Sabbath. But who looks forward to a day of meticulous rule-keeping? It's rest that Jesus speaks about this morning. These are some of the most treasured words that Jesus speaks in, in the Gospels. Come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I was younger, I used to have this little book of Bible verses that you could read during the various things that you would experience in the human condition. And, and these are words that I turn to quite a bit. These are words that can end up on a, a throw pillow on grandma's couch, or they can end up on a sign that you would buy on Etsy and hang it on your wall. But there's a, a, a depth to Jesus' words that I think that we can easily miss. Jesus says that we will find rest, and not just rest, but rest for our souls. And we as Christians reading this in the year 2021 have inherited about 2,000 years of Christian theology and a lot of Christian theology that developed borrowed from Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy had a very particular understanding of the soul, that the soul was this eternal part of ourselves, the part of ourselves that's meant to escape our bodies, the part of ourselves that goes to heaven when we die. But Jesus, being the, the Jewish rabbi that he was, I think would have had a very different understanding of the soul. When I was in seminary, like all other aspiring Presbyterian pastors, I had to take biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew. And Norm, you've probably done that recently. So I was required to learn these, language, Hebrew, these languages. Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament, and Greek is the language of the New. And I remember almost nothing from those courses, especially Hebrew. I took Hebrew as an eight-week summer intensive, so I basically shotgunned all the information into my brain, brain dumped it onto the final exam, passed the course, and didn't remember a thing. Except for one Hebrew word, and it's the word nefesh. Can we say that? Nefesh. There we go. You guys are great. You're on your way to learning Hebrew. Nefesh. Now, nefesh is not that strictly spiritual part of ourselves but it refers to the totality of who we are. It refers to us as living, breathing human beings. It refers to our bodies, our, our spiritual selves, our minds, our emotions, all of it. It's our nefesh. Every week when I give you the charge, I say you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is the first of the, what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments. And Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. That word soul in Hebrew is the word nefesh. So I hope that when you hear that charge from now on, you will hear that you are to love God with every fiber and ounce of who you are. The rest that Jesus offers is rest for our nefesh, for all that we are. It is rest for our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our emotions, all of it. All of it is brought into this all-encompassing rest that Jesus offers. And Jesus speaks to some weary and worn-out people. Think about the people who made up the crowd, the membership of the crowds. They were always pressing in on around him. People who were weary and worn out in their nefesh. Their nefesh was exhausted. Just before Jesus speaks these well-loved and treasured words, some disciples of John the baptizer come to him with a question you remember John, right? The, the prophet out preparing the way for Jesus, wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. He was the first true believer in Jesus. Long before Jesus ever said or did anything, John believed that he was the one who was to come. But John has been locked away in prison. And that firebrand, firebrand prophet is starting to have some doubts about whether or not Jesus was really the one who was to come. And so he sends his disciples 
to go and ask Jesus that question. Are you the one who was to come or should we be looking for somebody else? John worn out in his nefesh, his disciples worn out in his and their nefesh. Just after Jesus speaks these words, he goes into a synagogue and there's a man there with a withered hand. And of course, that man is not alone. There's people who are dealing with illnesses of all kinds that seem to surround Jesus. There are mothers and fathers who who bring their children who are sick, who are suffering from what they would have called demon possession in that culture. There's a woman who pushes her way through the crowd just to touch Jesus' clothes. There's those four friends carrying their paralyzed friend who literally tear the roof off of a house to lower their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. There are those who are hungry and poor, that poverty was, a, was widespread in that culture, looking for something from Jesus, uh, beggars along the roadside crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me, and the, the people saying, be quiet. But of course, Jesus stops the whole procession to attend to them, to attend to where their soul is weary, worn out, and exhausted, where their own being is weary and worn out and exhausted. And And Jesus is standing on the hillside, 5,000, it says 5,000 men before him because they didn't count women and children, so it's two or three times the amount. And and Jesus looks at his disciples and says, give them something to eat. And they say, what do you think, we're made of money? Take an entire year's wages to feed these people. But Jesus shows them the way by, by blessing and breaking bread and each person passing it on to the next. There are those who are, were dealing with a, a graceless religion, a religion that was more bent on shame and guilt than it was on grace. The, the, Jesus was hanging out at, the, at a dinner party with these really religious and really pious people when a woman who is a, was a prostitute, who was one of the chief so-called sinners of the day, walks in and she falls at Jesus' feet and she begins crying on his feet and drying them with her hair. And the, the really religious people are aghast and shocked by this scene. Jesus offers her grace. There are those who who lived under the oppressive heel of the Roman Empire, the Roman occupation, and they heard Jesus' words of an upside-down kingdom of God, a kingdom that in the words of his mother, where the the lowly are lifted up and the powerful are brought down, where the the rich are sent away empty, but the, the hungry are filled with good things. As you look out among that crowd, maybe you see yourself among them. Where is your nefesh, your fiber, the fiber of your being, your very self? Where are you exhausted and worn out? Because Jesus says, come to me, all of you that are weary, and I will give you rest. Come and experience true Sabbath with me. Come find rest and restoration and recovery for all that you are. If the question is, how do we practice Sabbath rest, then I think one of the biggest ways to do that is to actually sleep, to actually rest. There's this really great story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah has this Messiah complex, right? He thinks everything kind of depends upon him. That if he's not doing it, then God's going to kind of give up. The whole thing is going to unravel. So Elijah's running himself ragged. He's burning the candle at both ends until he finally is so exhausted, he runs out into the wilderness and God, through an angel, makes him go to sleep. And then Elijah wakes up and the angel gives him a snack, gives him some food, 
And then Elijah goes back to sleep. And there's a meme on social media about that story. It says, never underestimate the spiritual power of a snack and a nap. (laughs) Sabbath rest is about actually resting, about sleeping. It's about setting an alarm or going to sleep and not setting an alarm. It's about taking a nap. I remember I was telling a counselor I had in seminary about my Sabbath practice that I have to read, I have to do this, that, and the other thing. He's like, do you sleep? Do you rest on the Sabbath? And so I've tried to incorporate that into my Sabbath practices, resting, actually sleeping, and eating too. This should come as no surprise to anybody who's gotten to know me over the last nine months that I'm going to talk about eating good food because I love to eat good food. It's actually one of my Sabbath practices to stop and to eat good food. And Heather and I go out and try one of the many restaurants around here, usually on Fridays. Use the Sabbath to ignore the long list of chores that you have. I know that it's easy on your one day off to try and get everything done that you need to get done, especially if you're still working during the week, that your temptation is to, to try and get that long list of chores that never seems to get shorter, get those things done. And I've been guilty of that too, that on my Fridays, I often end up cutting the grass, which is not the most restful activity for me. But use it if you can. I know some of you, it might be stressful for you to have a messy house, but if you're, it's possible Ignore that long list of chores and actually rest. Find what brings you joy in life. If you have hobbies, if you like to fish or to garden or or whatever it might be, use the Sabbath to do those things, those things that bring you rest and recovery. And I have to be careful about this one because Alan's sitting here in the nominating committee still working, but use the Sabbath to say no to the church. I love Greenfield. I was called here. I was drawn here. And one of the things that makes this church great is that we are all engaged in the common mission and the common ministry together. But pastors know, perhaps more than anybody else, that as, as joyful and as fulfilling as church can sometimes be, sometimes it can be exhausting. And if you're finding church to be exhausting, take a Sabbath, take a rest, take a break. You can say no to certain things. What is yours to do? And then forget about the other things. Take time to rest. Take time for wholeness. Take a Sabbath, and we'll be here when you're done with your Sabbath. Because think about Jesus' life. That Jesus often went away to pray by himself. He went away for alone time, and all the introverts love to read that part of Jesus' story. That there were crowds pressing in around Jesus all the time. Their nefesh was exhausted and weary and worn out, and they needed his attention, but sometimes Jesus needed to step back. He needed to pay attention to his own nefesh, his own soul, his own well-being. And sometimes that meant that all of those crowds with all of those needs had to wait just a little while longer. Because Jesus knew that in order to carry out his mission and his ministry, that he needed his own nefesh to be restored and whole. The Sabbath is a gift. And we have the freedom to explore what is restful, what is restorative to ourselves, what is restorative to our nefesh, all of who we are. And Jesus invites us to come and to experience that rest. What is restorative? What brings you wholeness? Blessings as you seek to find that. And blessings as you find rest for all that you are. Thanks be to God. Amen.